Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Song of Solomon, chapter 4. And remember, this is the number one hit. This is the number one song. This is the top of the charts. This is the song that God allowed to be put. I mean, there's a lot of songs in the Psalms and stuff. But this is the number one song. And as we study it, as we look at it, one of the reasons it's the number one song is because it's about the intimate relationship between the bridegroom and the bride. Between the king and his bride, you and me. I don't think there'll ever be a time on this earth that we will ever be in the position that we have fully know Christ as we're going to know when we meet him face to face in heaven. But that doesn't mean we should stay where, like we are, where we are. You know, when we first received Jesus, we're babes in Christ. We're like little babies. But as we grow, we should be maturing. So we go from the milk of the word to the meat of the word. You are dear people. Do you realize that you, here tonight, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we're going to see each other in heaven forever along with all those other people that came before us, that come after us, we're going to know them. We're going to meet them. We're going to, we're going to break bread with them in heaven. This chapter 4 of the Song of Solomon, the bridegroom, Jesus, is praising the bride, the Shulamite woman, but more importantly, more important than the Shulamite woman, he's praising you and me tonight. Please remember that. I don't know where you've been with our study of the Song of Solomon, but you are the Shulamite woman. I am the Shulamite woman. So when it's referred to the Shulamite woman in, the, in this scripture tonight, remember that's you. The bridegroom is Jesus Christ. We await our bridegroom to take us home to go to the wedding feast. The wedding feast of the Lamb that you and I will be at. That is crazy. That is coming. More things are happening in our world now than ever before. We're closer now than ever before of going to that wedding feast. Do you understand that? Do you see that? Do you feel that? Do you feel God's urgency in our lives to get to know him deeper and in a more intimate way than we know him? We can do that if it's a desire of your heart and my heart. We can get to know him better. As we know, life is challenging, but there's strength in knowing our position in Christ. 
Life is challenging. Life has trials. Life has tribulation. Life has heartaches. Life has sickness and death. But when we know our position in Jesus Christ, that strengthens our position, doesn't it? Haven't you found strength in your relationship with the Lord, whether you're a new Christian or an older Christian? There's strength in that relationship. In Isaiah 30, verse 18, it says, Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. One more time. Therefore the Lord will wait that he may be gracious to you. Remember, grace is getting something you don't deserve. It's a gift. God pours his grace on you and me. Tonight, when we come together as the body of Christ, tonight, when you're in bed and you're praying to the Lord or, or listening to a teaching or reading God's word, God's grace is shed on you to be put in that position to even do that. When you wake up in the morning, that's God's grace. The next breath you take is God's grace. It's a gift he gives you. God has shed his grace on this whole planet. There are people right now that aren't thinking about their next heartbeat. They're not thinking about their next breath. But yet God loves them so much. He loves this, the uh, retrobate. He loves the non-believer. He loves the atheist as much as he loves you and me, regardless of how long we've been serving him or following him. He loves them intimately. That love will never, ever change. He will do everything he can while they're alive on this earth to awaken them to who he is. To how much he loves them. But here tonight, we're here to dive deeper into his love. To experience more of his intimate love for you as an individual. Isn't it cool to know that God can't love you any more than he does right now? And you're probably saying, Pastor Vinny, I had a terrible day today. He doesn't care. He loves you as much as he will tomorrow, today, and as he did yesterday. His love for you has no boundaries. He's your maker. He's your creator. And hopefully, he is your personal savior. You've trusted him. To wash away your sins that you've committed, that I've committed throughout my lifetime. That's why he came and shed his blood on the cross as an offering for you and for me. God's concern, and we can all identify with this, I don't care if you're older, you're younger, you're in school, you're not in school, it doesn't matter. Just go back to the school days. Go back to when you're going out to a wedding or something. What's one of the things you're always thinking about? How am I going to look? How am I looking tonight? Is everything good? What kind of image am I going to portray to the people I come in contact with? Are they thinking negatively about me or positively about me? How am I looking to the people I'm going to be in contact with? Well, I have more good news for you. I have great news for you. That God isn't concerned with your outward appearance. 
He's not concerned with your outward appearance. You hear that pretty girl? You hear that handsome guy? He's not concerned with your outward appearance. You hear that person who has a bad self-image here tonight? Because you don't think you measure up to the standards of the world? God doesn't care. He doesn't look at your outward appearance. He looks at your heart. He looks at your inward appearance. The world, as we know, looks for what? The outward appearance. They don't really care about the inward stuff. They care about the outward appearance. But God looks at your heart. He looks at my heart. Do you know that God right now is so pleased with anybody who's paying attention to him right now? He's happy. He's psyched that you're seeking him with your heart, that you're opening up his word, that you're listening, you're, you're thinking, you're meditating, you're, you're trying to see what God wants to tell you at this point of your life today on Wednesday here in June. The Lord looks at your heart. Let's take a look at chapter 4, verse 1. I'm going to read four verses, and then we'll go back and break up those four verses. Remember now, this is the Lord speaking to you and me. This is the king speaking to the Shulamite woman who represents you and me. Behold, you are fair, my love. Behold, you are fair. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep which have come up from the washing every one of which bears twins, and none is barren among them. Your lips are like a strand of scarlet, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like a piece of pomegranate. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built for an armory, on which hang a thousand bucklers, all shields of mighty men. Now, I don't know about you guys and girls, but I... I grew up, and part of the, my uh, TV watching was the Dean Martin roast. And I couldn't wait till Don Rickles got up there to roast people. Well, boy, when I started reading chapter 4 of uh, Song of Solomon, when I looked at your hair is like a flock of goats, uh, your teeth are like a flock of shorn sheep, I was thinking Don Rickles, like going after somebody. So what does all this mean? What are, what are these descriptions? What are these uh, things that are being said here in God's word? Well, we're going to look at that uh, tonight. So let's go f- back to verse 1. Behold, you are fair, my love. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Ooh, outward appearance or inward appearance? Definitely an outward appearance. Are our eyes on the mirror and what we see in the mirror? Our mirror should be God's word. 
that reflects and shows our heart. Because that's what God is concerned with. He loves you more whether you do something or you don't. He just loves you. He just loves you. Behold, you are fair. Let me ask you this question. Do you look at yourself through your own eyes and through the eyes of a mirror? Or do you look at yourself through the eyes of Jesus Christ? Something to think about, right? How do you look at your value? How do you look at your worth? Is it through your own eyes? Is it by the things you do or don't do? Or is it through the eyes of Jesus? There's a lot of scripture that you can look at. We're just going to look at one. Um, Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. It says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Now, we live near the beach. I mean, we've all been to the beaches down the Jersey Shore. Think about the sand. Just the sand on the part that you're laying on or walking on. Here, God says that his thoughts to us are more than all that sand. Not on that beach. Take all the sand in the whole universe. He has more thoughts towards you than all the sand. You're that precious to him. He's always thinking about you. He's always praying for you. You're really never alone if you have that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. You really are never alone. How do you know when you're alone? Usually through an adverse situation or something happens or you're isolated somehow. But you know what that is? That's another time that God is bringing you to a place where he's showing you your heart, right? He's showing you where you are in your relationship with him. And that is a good thing. A stove that's hot, if I don't have any feeling in my hand, and this is the stove, and I just go like this, and I don't have any feeling in it. Boy, what does that do to my arm? But if I do have a feeling, and it's hot, I'm pulling right away. God wants to show you your heart by the very things that sometimes come into your life. We normally don't see those things or experience those things unless it's hot. It's a burn. But you know what? In the very good things, when things are going well in your life, he wants to show you things too. It's not just through the trials and tribulations. It's through the blessings, through the good times, as well as the bad. As we continue in verse 1, you have dove's eyes behind your veil. You have dove's eyes behind your veil. One of the things with a dove, it doesn't have any peripheral vision. 
It only can be locked straight ahead what's in, right in front of them. It's not easily distracted. So what God is showing us with this woman, the Shulamite woman, she is intent. She's focused on her lover. She's focused on her king, as we should be. Not distracted by the things that the enemy tries to put into our life. I was thinking of Peter on the water, when he was walking on the waters. He was great when his eyes were on Jesus. He was focused on Jesus. It's when he got distracted that he started to sink. Simplicity of this is keeping our eyes on Jesus. Just keeping our eyes on Christ. Satan tries to distract us. He's great at distracting us. He's great at distracting the world. He wants us to focus on something or someone else, right? He wants us to look other places rather than on Jesus. He's doing a great job within the body of Christ, having, having people, individuals get distracted within churches. I praise God for this church. I praise God for the word of God that goes forth from this pulpit by the different men who come up here. Sin is called sin. The word of God is preached. The whole word of God is preached. And whether we have a full church or a half a church or five people in the church, God's word will always be preached here. I praise God for the faithfulness and his mercy and grace that he shed on this place. Genesis 4, 7 says, And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. That was spoken to Cain back in Genesis. But we need to understand that sin lies at our door. There is a ton of doors around here. There are a ton of doors around here. When you're in your house, there's doors all over the place. And just think of that analogy that God has given us. That's sin is lying at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. When we walk out the door tonight, sin is waiting for us. Sin is going to try to steal something in our minds, take something from our heart. It could come in the form of just saying, ah, you'll never measure up to the teaching tonight. You'll never, you'll never get to that point like the Shulamite woman. Well, that's a lie of the enemy. He's a liar. And he loves to put the doubt, did God really say that to you tonight? Well, yeah, if the God's word does not return void, it's open to you. He's speaking to you. He's speaking to me. Do we have a desire to receive it and take it into our heart? Luke 4.13 says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. 
Now, that is when Jesus was in the desert. And Satan tried to tempt Jesus. Now, if the devil had the arrogance, the gall, the nerve, the stupidity to tempt Jesus Christ, the Son of God, his creator, how much more is Satan and the demons going to try to tempt you and me? But what did Jesus do? Jesus spoke his word to the devil when he was tempted. That is why it's so important for you and I to hide God's word in our heart, to know his word. doesn't matter how many times we hear God's word. doesn't matter how many times we hear John 3.16. Those are words of life. That's our lifeline. And the more we know of God's word, the easier it'll be when the enemy tempts us. Because sin is crouching at the door. And the devil is looking for an opportune time to come after you. In your sickness, in your weakness, in your tiredness. When things are going good, when things are going bad. He doesn't play by any rule book. He doesn't play by a rule book. But when you know God's word. And you can use God's word. In every situation and and look at every situation through God's word. You have victory. You have success. Mac just came back from Israel. And he told me of one of the guys that was on the trip who was from Libya. Who was persecuted for his faith and he was only in his mid-20s. And the guy shared one night with his group of 100 young adults that him and another guy were stripped of their clothes, thrown out into the sun, beaten, kicked, and asked if they professed Jesus Christ, if they believed in God. And they went to the guy that was laying next to this young man. His name was Abraham and started peeling his skin off him. And the guy was screaming in pain, but as he was screaming in pain, he was also singing praises to God. He had God's word in his heart. There was physical pain going on, but he had the spiritual strength to sing praises to God. Mac, he was killed. He died. He's in heaven right now. The world thinks he lost. But he won. Do you see that? He won. You and I might lose an inning, inning, one inning of the baseball game. We might lose one inning. But understand, in Christ, we won the game. The game is over. The victory is secure. We just have to go through all the innings till we meet him face to face. But we win because Christ paid that price on the cross. In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, it says, For God, 
who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Song of Solomon, God wants to use this book to help us in our one-on-one relationship with Jesus, to see his face, to get that close, that we know it's him, that we feel his presence, that no matter what goes on in our world, what goes on in our individual lives, is nothing compared to the sweet, sweet presence of our Lord and Savior, our King, our Bridegroom, Jesus Christ. The title of this message tonight, and when we look at it next time, is perfume and cologne of God. The perfume and cologne of God. The perfume and cologne of God. Perfume, cologne, usually has a nice fragrance, a nice smell. You are the perfume, ladies, guys. You're the cologne of God. You're that sweet-smelling aroma that he takes delight in. It's throughout the scriptures. Think about that. You're a sweet fragrance to the Lord. Regardless of what you think of yourself, I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It doesn't matter. It matters what God thinks of you, and he loves you more than anything, and you're a sweet fragrance to him. That's pretty awesome. Like, that's totally awesome. Not pretty, it's like totally awesome. It doesn't get better than that, knowing that you individually, who you are, with your personality, with all your quirks, with all your hang-ups, whatever it is, he loves you as much as he loved Paul the Apostle or Moses or Peter or Mary. It doesn't matter. And I love that, that if you were the only person that was living on this planet, he would have died for you because that's how much he loves you. Hebrews 12, verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, looking unto Jesus, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Peter walking on the water, fixed his eyes on Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. He's the author and he's the finisher of your faith. You are not. You don't write the journey. You don't write your faith. He is the author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy? Who for the joy? You know who the joy is? You and me. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross? He hung on the cross and he saw you individually. He hung on the cross And there was no way he was going to come down. 
Because he saw you, who you are, you as an individual. He saw you. That's why he hung there. His love for you kept him up there. And even when he was on the cross, they wanted him, oh, if you're the son of God, come on down off the cross. He could have done that. He could have hung on the cross without the nails going through his hands and his feet. But he did that for you and for me. He died for you and for me. He suffered so you and I didn't have to suffer. You know the suffering, the trials and tribulations in this life that we go on? That's the closest to hell you're ever going to get. Think about that. The trials and tribulations that you're going through in your life, whatever it is, that's the closest to hell you're going to ever experience if you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. Heaven awaits you. Eternity awaits you. Paradise awaits you. Your bridegroom Jesus awaits you. We're a week closer than we were at this time last week. We're three days closer than we were, four days closer than we were Sunday. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame of the cross and all that went with it, the humiliation. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And if this is the throne of God right here, and Jesus is sitting on it, I bet he's like this. He's getting ready. He's just ready. He's ready for God the Father to say, go. Go get them. Go get the ones you died for that are still living on this earth. Go get them. Meet them in the clouds halfway. Go get them. I don't think he's just... I think he's ready. I think Jesus Christ can't wait to come back with all the saints that went before us for us to join them in the air to go to the wedding feast to come back here to this planet to start that whole thousand year reign and be a part of that as we are ministering with Jesus Christ to the world for a thousand years with no more aches and pains people We get to do this without any tiredness. And then one day, Jesus is just going to, new heaven, new earth, eternity, no more sin, the whole thing. That's where we're heading. I think Jesus, like those guys on that plane over Pennsylvania, can't wait to say to the saints that are with him, let's roll. Let's roll. Let's get down there. Let's get going. The dove, dove's eyes, the dove, sign of purity, love, loyalty, and devotion. When you talk to God, when you open your Bible at home, when you come together on Wednesday or Sunday, you're showing your devotion, right? You're showing your desire. 
you're showing your loyalty. You're showing your love. When you help that stranger, that stranger that's out there maybe tonight, when you stop to get a cup of coffee or something to eat, there might be somebody there that you're going to touch with the love of God because he's going to move you. He's going to have you just in that interaction with that person. Those are exciting, neat things. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, that's just one thing, the sexual immorality. There's also, you know, drunkenness, uh, I mean, lying, everything. Just think of the Ten Commandments. But the part I want to just zero in on is, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. And sanctification is a big, big word, simply meaning set apart. You're just being set apart. You're sanctified. God is setting you apart. He's making you more and more holy. You're holy for him. As you spend time with him, he's preparing you. He's sanctifying you. It's an ongoing process. You're set apart for him. You're holy. You're his. He has work for you and I to do on this planet before we check out of here. And guess what? It's dealing with other people. It's dealing with other people that he wants us to do. But Pastor Vinny, I'm not good with other people. You've got to die to yourself. It's Jesus in you, the hope of glory. It's his Holy Spirit working through you. It's not you. It's your submission. You're setting yourself apart for God so he can work in you to touch and reach other people. Remember, your words, my words, your actions, my actions, show us where our heart is. It shows us where we're settling. It shows us our intent. Matthew twelve thirty four says, You brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This Shulamite woman in the first three chapters and now in chapter four, she is changing. Her heart intent is changing. God is doing a work inside her heart. She's more submissive now. She's more concerned with the words of her bridegroom and her king. She's hanging on these words as we should hang on God's words. In that verse, we we look at the veil. You have dove eyes behind your veil. I thought of the veil of the Holy of Holies. The veil of the Holy of Holies. Where the Ark of the Covenant was. Where Jesus' presence was. Where they would enter once a year to go in there to make a sacrifice for the sin of the priest who was in there and the, the sins of all the, the nation. But I also know that when Jesus died on the cross, that veil was torn in two from top to bottom, signifying that anyone can enter into that veil now. It doesn't have to be a priest, it can be an ordinary person who puts their trust in the sacrifice of Jesus for their sins and the sins of the whole world. 
You can enter with boldness into God's presence. Do you desire that? Do you want that? Is that something that you have experienced in your one-on-one time with the Lord? Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Your hair like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Hair in the scripture is a sign of beauty. Devotion and strength. You think of the Nazarite vow where the guys would let their hair grow. Samson was a Nazarene. Nazarite took the Nazarite vow. His, he let his hair grow as a sign of his loyalty and devotion to God. Now, because I have very little hair has nothing to do with my devotion to the Lord. Okay? I am not a Nazarite. Let's just get that straight before we continue. But again, just like baptism, I know most of you out there were baptized right up here. Remember, baptism is an outward sign of what you did inside your heart. You're dying to yourself. You're rising to new life in Christ. It's an it's a outward sign of what you do, what you did inside. So it was with um, the hair. It was an outward sign of, of, of what you're doing inside, devotion to the Lord back in these, the Old Testament days. It was a sign of separation. It was a sign of purity. It was a sign of your inward dedication. But... Think of you and think of me tonight here in 2019. Just like the devotion that these men and women had to God, they got strength for it. Guess what? So do we. As we give our lives to Christ, as we get to know him through his word, he gives us strength to deal with those things that God knows is coming our way. Wasn't a surprise that Abraham knew this boy, this other young man that was skinned alive. But God prepared their hearts for that. And Abraham shared that with a hundred young adults that touched their hearts. Because these kids were from all over the world, but I think 40 of them came from the United States of America. And we don't, we can read about it, but very rarely are people going to meet a person who saw that happen on a first-hand basis. What happens when you and I are separated from God? The same thing that happened to Samson when he let his hair be cut. See, that was a vow he had with the Lord. He left the Lord. One of the sad parts in the scripture, in the the story of Samson, is Samson didn't realize when God left him. When we walk away from the Lord, when when we don't give our heart devotion to the Lord, we get weak. 
And when we get weak, we get beaten up, don't we? We've all been there. We've all done this. Where we don't give God the time of day, we do our own thing, and then we pay the price. We get distracted like Peter did instead of keeping our eyes focused on Jesus. But just like Peter, we say, Lord, help. I'm sorry. I blew it again. He's right there to put you back up to continue your journey with him through this life till we meet him face to face one day. Going down from Mount Gilead. Your hair is like a flock of goats going down from Mount Gilead. Now, you need to picture this for a second. Mount Gilead, a mountain. But it was more than just a mountain. It was a rocky region. Gilead means rocky region. It's where sheep and goats were kept awaiting sacrifice in the temple. They were grazing up there. They were becoming healthy and strong up there. And then when they were led down to the mountain towards the temple, it would be like a whole mess of sheep coming down. So if you had them all together, hundreds of sheep, it looked like just a white maze coming down. But understand this, where they were going. They were going to the temple to be sacrificed. Blood was being shed for the forgiveness of sins or for the covering of sins. That was a picture of Jesus Christ one day coming down from the Garden of Gethsemane, down across the Kidron Valley. Through the sheep gate of the temple to be beaten and tried and then led outside the city gates to Golgotha, Calvary Hill, to be crucified. The Lamb of God, for his blood to be shed for the sins of the world. It's wild what God has done in his word to show us a picture of what he was going to do, then he did, and now he's telling us all the things that are still going to happen afterwards. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Paul, in his letter to the Romans, is begging the people, he's begging the guys and girls from Rome, by God's mercy, understanding the mercy of God. We talked about grace. Grace is... Getting something you don't deserve. It's a gift. You don't deserve a gift, but someone's given it to you. God's grace is shed on you. You don't deserve it, but he's given it to you because he loves you. But we need to look at mercy too. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. You know what you deserve and I deserve, spiritually speaking? An eternity in hell. An eternity in the lake of fire. Because sin is so offensive to God that it takes an eternity outside of Christ's shed blood for you and I to pay it off. But if you catch the word eternity, do we ever pay it off? No, it's eternal. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish for eternity, but have eternal life. And hopefully you have done that with the Lord. 
So today, tomorrow morning when we wake up, we need to present our bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice. You're a living sacrifice, set apart. You're holy, acceptable to God. Well, Pastor Vinny, I don't feel holy. I don't care. God doesn't care. He made you holy. What's holy mean? You're set apart for his use. The Shulamite woman is beginning to understand this. It's the first time in the book of Solomon that she's referred to as the bride. The relationship has become more intimate. Remember in a couple of chapters before she was staying in her room when the bride when the bridegroom said, come on with me. And she goes, no, no, I'll see you later. Now she wants to be with him. She doesn't want to leave him, nor should we. Protect your heart of devotion to Jesus, Jesus and show his love to the world. Protect your heart. Protect your heart. to Jesus Christ and show your love to the world. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m., And Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.